I woke up on Saturday morning, I looked at the Google Analytics and saw something like 500 or 600 simultaneous visitors to our website. Most employees would rather have the boss who at least tells them where they stand than the one who doesn't. You're listening to The Growth Show, a podcast that uncovers interesting stories and advice on growth from every corner of the business world. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of The Growth Show. I'm Kip, your host and the CMO at HubSpot. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Kim Scott, author of the upcoming book, Radical Candor. She has worked with companies like Twitter, Apple, Google, and Dropbox. Well, Kim, welcome to this episode of The Growth Show. And I'm so excited that you're here with us today to talk about your Radical Candor framework. Just to get us started, kick things off, could you give us just the quick quick 30 seconds to a minute download on your framework and, and kind of what it's used for? Sure. Uh, thanks so much for having me, first off. I'm, I'm thrilled to be talking about it. So the basic idea is that feedback is, is the most impromptu feedback is the most important thing that managers do for the people who work for them, but also just that we do for each other generally at, at work and also in life. But it's really, really hard to do it. It's, it's, that's why I call it radical candor because it's so rare that it happens. So I spent a bunch of time throughout my career thinking about what makes it hard and what I could do to make it a little bit easier. And the, the, there are two things basically that make it hard. So if you imagine a, an, a, a vertical axis and that is the care personally axis. I think at work, because we're taught that you're supposed to show up as a professional, too often people leave the best part of themselves at home and they don't show up to work as, as fully human. Uh, and so they don't care personally uh, as much as they should or could at work. And, and that causes a bunch of problems. And then imagine a horizontal axis and that's the, that's the challenge directly axis. And that's hard because since the time that most of us learned to speak, we were told some version of, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all, right? So there's two big reasons that, that people are reluctant to do something as simple as say what they really think uh, at work. One is this, uh, one, one happens on the care personally axis, the other happens on the challenge directly axis. So just by reminding people that you're actually supposed to care personally and challenge directly, it often can, can liberate them to be radically candid, to say what they really think. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I, I think to help give people listening a good understanding of really what radical candor is, could you tell us about a time... You've worked with some great leaders. When one of them, you know, gave you some radical candor yourself and kind of what that felt like and kind of give us that insight. Sure. So shortly after I joined Google, my boss, Sheryl Sandberg, and I went into a presentation with the founders of Google and the CEO about AdSense, which was the business that, that I was leading at the time. And I was nervous. I had just started at Google, and I was nervous about that presentation for, for all the usual reasons, but also because 
I had recently done a startup, and the reason why I had started this software company was because I wanted to create this wonderful work environment and where people really loved the work they did and where they also actually enjoyed working together. So that was, for me, that, that was always a big driver in my career. And when the company failed, it was incredibly demoralizing because this this great environment that I had that I had created was no longer and then when I interviewed at Google it was alive and well and even better than I had imagined it was almost palpable at that time this was 2004 the the joy that people took in their work and, and the respect that they had for each other so it really mattered to me that I made a good impression on these people and that I sort of learned how they had how they had pulled this off so that so that I could do it and I could teach other people to do it as well. So that's a long-winded way of saying I really cared about making a positive impression. Happily, the business was on fire and when I said how many new AdSense publishers we had added in the last few months, Eric Schmidt almost fell off his chair and said, "What you know, what resources do you need to keep this amazing business growing?" And so I felt like it had gone pretty well. And and then after the meeting, Cheryl said to me, "Why don't you Why don't you walk back to my office with me?" And I I all of a sudden realized something had gone wrong. I had done something wrong in the meeting, but I had no idea what it was. So I was once again nervous. And Cheryl started off by being really specific and really sincere about the things that had gone well with the presentation, but I kept having the feeling that the other shoe was about to drop. And sure enough, she eventually said, but, and I sort of held my breath, and she said, you said, um, I don't know if you were aware of it, but you said, um, approximately every third word. And when you say, um, that often, it makes you sound a little stupid, frankly. And so that was... That was hard to hear. And some, some people might say that it, it was mean of Cheryl to say that, but Cheryl knew me well enough. She knew me personally. She cared personally to see that I was sort of blowing her off when she said, you said, I'm a lot. I sort of had breathed this big sigh of relief, and I sort of waved my hands in a way that showed, uh, well, if that's the only thing I did wrong, I'm not too worried about it. And she said, look, that's a silly thing to let trip you up. We can, you can work with a speech coach and you can get rid of this, this, this problem where maybe you'll still say, um, but it'll be way less. So, but if she hadn't said it to me just that way, you sounded stupid. I would never have taken the time to go to the, uh, to go to the speech coach. And it, it would have tripped me up in a totally unnecessary way. So it was actually the kindest thing that Cheryl could have done for me. But part of the reason why she was able to do it for me was that she had shown me in a thousand ways, and not just me, everybody who worked for her, that she really did care personally about our growth and our development. And, um, and at the same time, she, she, was not, she was not afraid to challenge us directly when we needed it. So it, was, it's, it sounds like a small thing, really, just telling somebody something that's kind of obvious you, you you don't you don't make a great impression when you say um every third word but nobody had ever told me that before and it, it was helpful you know Cheryl's obviously a very well respected leader and what I would love to know is what could you give us a few of the examples of what she did leading up to that to show you that she personally cared and made giving that feedback something that you feel 
felt good to receive? I feel like a lot of people who lead and manage would love to hear that detail. Sure. Um, uh, so I want to I want to start off by saying, like there were there were a million things that she had done. I had I had just moved from New York to California. I didn't know very many people. She made sure I had a steady stream of invitations for interesting dinners. She invited me to join her book group. So really, she she uh, and for her whole team, she would often have have us to her house for brunches, um, take us to take us out to the movies together. So so there was there was a lot of there there was a lot of that that sort of thing. But you know, there, there are also times in your career where you don't have time to do those sorts of things. And the, so simply offering the advice that she did, even if even if we had only just met each other that day, just the way that Cheryl said it, she was she was humble. She didn't say she she wasn't aggressive about it. She she said, Were you aware of it? She didn't she didn't come come on sort of punching. So she was humble about it. She was helpful. She offered to 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 find me a speech coach and help me get Google to pay for it. She did it immediately. I think one of the big mistakes that people make is they they save up feedback for a one-on-one or even worse for a performance review. And I always say that feedback, especially criticism, but praise too, they have a short half-life, right? You've got to do it right away. You've got to do it in person. Cheryl did it in person. Um, and, and she, you know, she did it on a walk. It wasn't like we were sitting in some kind of cramped, awful room together. Um, and, and she didn't personalize. And this is, I think, one of the most important points. She didn't say, Kim, you are stupid. She said, when you, sound, when you said, um, every third word, it made you sound stupid. There's a world of difference between the two. There was, there was one guy I knew who I used to work with who was struggling with uh, a reputation for being, for being sort of obnoxiously aggressive, we'll call it, for being a jerk. And he changed his reputation by simply s- ceasing to say the words, you are wrong, and, and he started instead to say, I think that's wrong. Big difference. So making sure that you don't personalize things unnecessarily is really important. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It also sounds like in a lo- with the immediacy, there was also real specificity and clarity to the feedback. You know, yes. it, it was a, is a theme I'm pulling out here. Is that something that's consistent with the leaders that you've worked with and what you've seen works with really good radical candor? Yes, absolutely. I mean, abstractions are really not helpful. Um, and, and they're not helpful with praise or criticism. For the same reason you wouldn't say you are a moron, it's not helpful to say you're a genius, right? You, this, the, the situation behavior impact uh, model is really helpful. Another, another sort of way to think about Feedback is is the same way that I think about writing novels, which is something I've uh, spent a lot of time doing in my life, or writing a short story. The the most important the most important advice to writers is show, don't tell. So in other words, you wouldn't say she's really smart. You'd say she could do the New York Times crossword puzzle in two minutes, right? So you you want to show exactly what you mean. 
So I think the, the more you can get away from abstractions and, and really describe specific events, the better. You know, I, I think that's really great advice. And something that I've found personally is those two things go hand in hand. If you're doing feedback immediately, you have the specificity. You know what just happened. You can provide a lot of good detail. If you're saving it up for some time down the lo- road and then you get there, you've kind of forgotten all that stuff. And so it kind of forces you into abstraction. Yes, exactly. I mean, the other thing that happens when it's it's very interesting there's this movement right now to abandon formal performance reviews and i think that uh, personally i think it's uh, it's not a great idea but i i do think formal performance reviews present one big danger and and that is that people think they're supposed to wait to give feedback until the formal performance review and again the the sort of atomic building block of good management is instant, impromptu feedback, right? So you, 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 giving it immediately is going to force you to be specific because you're, you're going you're to be almost still in the context. Yeah, so there are a lot of leaders, there are a lot of managers listening to this show. If you were the, the feedback czar and you, you could just mandate how, how all leaders, how managers kind of gave feedback to the people they were working with, what do you think the best way to do it is? Uh, I think the best way to do it is in between meetings. Actually, don't. This is not. This is not. Giving feedback is not something. Impromptu feedback is not something you need to schedule meetings for. It's something you need to grab. You need to grab people in the moment, in between. Uh, as soon as you see something happening that's either amazing or or not so amazing, you need to grab them and tell them right away. So. In fact, I'm I'm working on building a tool that will allow you to uh, that, that will sort of cruise your calendar and identify likely times when you probably should be giving people feedback. It's hard to keep it top of mind. You know, you have so many so many th- things that you have to do in your day that you you sometimes need an external prompt. So, being willing. Another piece of advice that I often give people is. Be willing to be late to your next meeting, right? It's this is really important giving giving the impromptu guidance to to the people who work for you. So so if if you see something happening in a meeting, off the most often reason I failed to to say what I really thought was that I, I didn't want to be li- I didn't want to be late for my, my next thing, and I was too busily I was too scheduled, right? So letting go of of the desire to be exactly on time, and also changing my schedule so that meetings ended, 30-minute meetings became 25-minute meetings, and so on and so forth, gave me the slack time I needed in my day to to do that for people. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, one, I'm definitely going to be a beta user for that app. Let me know. And uh, and two, so then where do performance reviews fit into that? I, I, I'm buying all everything that you're selling there. But how do how do the, like the larger, deeper uh, feedback sessions fit in? So the reason the reason that performance reviews exist, uh, for, as far as I'm concerned, is they, they they exist to sort of formalize what's been happening in an impromptu way, and and also often to give transparency into into bonus decisions and compensation mm-hmm. decisions, and. And also as a check, sometimes 
a a manager has been giving radically candid praise and criticism to somebody and it seems like the person has heard it but it's not until there's a number associated with it that that people understand what the implications are so i think it's a it's a it is it is important to do but if if it substitutes for for impromptu praise and criticism then it's a disaster that makes that makes total sense so if radical candor is the the ideal for giving feedback to someone what's what's the opposite of that and 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 how can uh, we avoid doing the the, the right. opposite the worst so so the second worst quadrant is is the bottom right quadrant where somebody is challenging but not caring and that i call obnoxious aggression and what one of the things i said recently in a talk that has been widely tweeted and probably misunderstood is if you can't offer radical candor the second thing second best thing you can do is be an asshole <laughs> so let me explain what i meant because i did i was not advocating becoming a jerk uh, i i'm second to none in my dislike of working with jerks and and my commitment to stamping out obnoxious aggression in the workplace but i I do think that most employees would rather have the boss who at least tells them where they stand than the one who doesn't. So that that's sort of why I said that. The the very worst quadrant of all is is the lower left where you neither care nor challenge and that's what I call manipulative insincerity. And we've all seen we've all seen that. That's you know, if it's praise, that's when somebody says, "Oh, you did a great job," and then trying to make themselves look smart, go to other people behind your back and nitpick on why you didn't do such a good job. In fact, uh, in in terms of in terms of criticism, uh, that's you know that's the person who sort of says something very gently to you so that you might even miss it and then and then they go and, and slam you behind your back. So that's where political behavior creeps in. And the problem, the the real driver, unfortunately, towards behavior that's manipula- manipulatively insincere is often when, when we get accused of being a jerk, when we get accused of having been obnoxiously aggressive, our instinct is to quit challenging rather than to start caring. So one of the things I tell people is when you do find yourself saying something that, that, that causes somebody else to say you were, you were in, the, in that bottom right obnoxious aggression or asshole quadrant, don't focus on pulling your punches. Focus on showing that you care because you do. I mean, I, I haven't written a book that tells people how to show they care because you already know how to show you care. Just use that skill, right? And then, so, so those, are the, those are three of the four quadrants. The fourth quadrant, the upper left-hand quadrant, where somebody really does care personally and, and they're really good at, at demonstrating it, but they're not challenging directly the people who work with them. That's what I call the ruinous empathy quadrant. And that is where the vast majority of management mistakes happen, at least in my experience. And I think, happily, that's the quadrant that where using this framework is going to be the most help because it's it's when when you realize that you think you're being nice but you're actually being being mean to withhold some some criticism or just to praise somebody in a way that's aimed at 
reassuring them as opposed to actually telling them what's what's genuinely good and how to build on it. It people sort of naturally move over to radical candor when they when they see that when they're reminded of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, so we just got an overview of the four quadrants from Kim, which is great. It, it, you know, they got progressively worse until you kind of get to the ruinous empathy, which I agree is is just a, a behavior that breeds a lot of resent and distrust and a bunch of things when you're when you're dealing with a team. So you talked a little bit about people focusing more on the candor, maybe a little less on the caring. Can yes, it's within people to to know that they care. Can you tell us about a time that you maybe coach somebody or help somebody understand how to demonstrate their care for another person so that they could work on that? Sure. Um, one of one of the one of the most inspiring things I ever saw anybody do was this this guy who used to work for me named Russ Lairway developed a really amazing uh, career conversation template and and. The first thing that he encouraged people to do was to have a, a real get-to-know-you conversation with employees where you sort of take a giant step back and you say, starting with kindergarten, tell me about your life and, and you know, what were the big changes that happened and why did they happen. And from that conversation, he encouraged managers to really understand what were the key drivers and motivators of the people who worked for them? What did they really want out of their out of their careers and out of their lives? So it was a you know it was a big it was a big and very personal conversation, and the thing that was surprising to me a little bit about about helping to teach people to have these conversations is a lot of a lot an awful lot of managers thought maybe it was inappropriate to have that conversation that they weren't supposed to get to know people as human beings at work. And I sort of, I, it seemed almost silly to say this, but I said, you know, one of the most important pieces of advice I can give you to be successful in your career is to show up as a human being. And it, it seemed a ridiculous thing to say. What were they supposed to do, show up as dolphins or <laughs> birds or something, you know? But... But I, I recently bumped into somebody who I worked with years ago, like probably almost a decade ago, and he said to me, you know, one of, one of the things that you said to us that really has stuck with me was that line, show up as a human being. So just reminding people to bring their humanity to work. For some reason, way too often people think it's unprofessional to, be, to bring your whole self to work. And, and I think it's, you've got to show up as a lot more than a professional. You, you do have to bring your whole self to work. So I think that's, that's helping people who really do already know how to care, but for some reason think they're not supposed to, to get personal at work is, is helpful. I mean, you, you obviously want to be careful. You, you don't want to insist on people sharing things they're not comfortable sharing. But which is why people were nervous, and, and right, rightly so, uh, about having those conversations. But they're important conversations to have. If somebody is truly, if, if somebody truly doesn't know how to care about another human being, it's probably beyond the scope of my book or the framework <laughs> to help them. You know? Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, uh, I, as somebody, uh, 
the coincidentally, I actually have had the pleasure of working with Russ, and he is amazing. And one of the one of the most, I think, within five minutes of knowing him or meeting him for the first time, we had like a very human and intimate conversation about kind of personal stuff. And it, it's clear to me that that's something he really prioritizes. So I think it's you know indicative of the story that you're telling here that that bringing that into work is a really good and positive thing for leaders. Yes, absolutely. The flip side of that, though, do you think this only applies to work? Or, you know, should folks also be doing this at home? Uh, what's the dynamic between work and personal, since we were talking about that line right now? Yeah, no, I think it, it applies to every relationship you have. In fact, I, I wrote a novel when I was at Google called Virtual Love, and it was basically about how applying things like this that I learned at work is what helped me get out of a bad relationship and, and into a good one. Um, so so it, I think this framework can help you with your, with your romantic relationships, with your friendships, with your relationships with your parents, with your relationships with your kids uh, across the board. I think it can be helpful. I think, however, it presents especially strongly at work because usually, almost always, in a friendship or in a romance, you kind of know you're supposed to care personally. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, people people are less apt to forget that in their in their personal lives. But but it is important to to challenge directly, even even in in whatever kind of relationship. In fact, Adam Grant wrote a great book called Give and Take, and in that book he quotes a, a really interesting study done on uh, people, strangers who, who are negotiating and romantic couples who are negotiating. And it turned out that the strangers were much better able to negotiate a deal that was better for both of them than the romantic pair was. And, and the reason was ruinous empathy, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, the romantic couple was, un, was unwilling to challenge each other, and so they didn't come up with the best solution that they, that they could have because of the unwillingness to challenge each other. So going back to radical candor a little bit, could you describe a time when maybe you or somebody you know were scared to give you know, radically candid advice and kind of how, how you, were, you saw someone overcome that? Look, I wrote the book, and I'm still scared to give radically candid feedback every single day. <laughs> it, it is it is hard. It's it's easy for me to say, be radically candid, and it's it's it was hard to come up with a framework, but it's it was easier to come up with a framework than to execute on the framework, <laughs> frankly. So I so I don't want to pretend like this is easy. And boiling it down to a two by two makes it look easy. I mean, literally, just last week. Uh, uh, you know, I, I had a situation, and and I should have told somebody something that bothered me, and I didn't. So, so the thing that the thing that helps me overcome it, and and the reason why I developed this this framework, is just being aware of when I'm moving away from radical candor, and because the this framework is sort of top of mind for me. When, like when I felt myself doing it, moving away, moving towards ruinous empathy, not telling this person what they needed, what 
what I really thought. I mean, who knows if they needed to hear it or not. That sounds arrogant. But not telling this person what I really thought. Um, when when I see the two two by two in my head and see myself moving away from it, it usually, usually, last week it didn't work, but usually it'll push me back towards radical candor. And in fact, I'm building another tool that will allow managers to ask their employees to, it's kind of a radical candor gauge, to let them know which quadrant they feel like their feedback is landing in so that, so that they'll know when, from their employees' perspective, they're either pulling their punches or punching too hard, and, and then they'll sort of naturally adjust. That makes total sense. And again, I'm I'm beta tester for that tool as well. That sounds awesome. All right, the, I'm gonna send it to you. That one, that one, we have alpha code written. So I'll nice, send it to that's you awesome. As soon as, as soon as we're done, I'd love to check that out. So one thing we've talked about, we've talked a lot about rant, radical candor, but we've talked about it from the lens of the person receiving that feedback. Mm-hmm. I feel like it also has a lot of benefits for the person giving the feedback in terms of their side of the relationship. What's your experience been there? You know, it seems like bottling up that feedback is detrimental from the person who should be giving that feedback. So, what's your what's your take there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, one of the one of the worst moments in my entire career happened when I, I had hired this guy who I really liked, and over the course of sort of twelve months, I I hadn't been criticizing him for the he was doing really terrible work. And I hadn't been letting him know because I was because I liked him and I was trying to sort of buck him up. And this was early in my career. I was mostly trying to make, hoping that if I made him feel better, he would start doing better work. And which of course didn't work. And eventually, it, it became clear that if I didn't fire him, I was going to lose more than half of my team. And when I told him that that I was firing him. I'll never forget it. He pushed his chair back and he said, why didn't you tell me? And why didn't anybody tell me? And it was like, it was, I've never felt sort of, uh, all of a sudden I realized I had failed to do my job, give him good, good feedback. And as a result, I was having to fire him for it. And that was a terrible feeling. So but part of what motivated me to spend as much time as I have writing this book and coming up with this framework is a promise I made to myself in that moment never to be in that situation again. So so the results of ruinous empathy are so ruinous that that, that, that for me is the major payoff. But there's also the sort of emotional payoff of not letting stuff bottle up. When I said that that criticism has a, and praise also, but especially criticism has a short half-life. I mean, the, the other side of that equation is if you bottle it up, it goes critical and kind of blows up like a dirty bomb all over your relationship uh, and, and becomes toxic. So so it's really important to to let people know what you really think. But again, it's just what you think. They are going to think something else. If you challenge somebody, you've got to be open to a reciprocal challenge. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like radical candor should lead to an environment of more kind of peer-to-peer challenging and, and manager to, to worker challenging and just create a healthier dialogue overall, which seems like the kind of top-level goal. Is that, is that how you're thinking about it? Yeah, 
absolutely. I mean, it, it's of uh, every time I've seen environments become toxic, it's because people aren't saying it's some version of people aren't saying what they really think. Um, they're they're or they're saying it in a terribly cruel way, but way more often it's because they're just not saying it at all. And uh, you know, if you think about think about a bad relationship you had at some point in your life where where you thought things were fine and all of a sudden the person you're dating sort of tells you about some trivial event six months ago that they've been that has become this giant festering wound in their psyche you're like what in the world why didn't you t it seems like why didn't you tell me months ago and for some reason with between managers and employees I think because people tend to save stuff up for performance reviews that happens all that's like more the norm than the um, than the than the exception so I think really just helping people at work to to be more open is is the biggest thing I know that you can do to create uh, a work environment where the work gets challenged, so the work gets better. So you do, you're doing better work, which is always good for morale. But also your relationships improve, which is which is also equally important for morale. I've heard you use the words work environment a lot. You know, what do you want to see out of the future of work? It seems like a lot of your life has been dedicated to how we work. Where do you want to see work and work culture evolve to? Well, I, you know, I believe that you should love your work, that it's possible to love your work, and it's also possible to at least like the people you work with. And we spend, we spend so much, even if we have good work-life balance, we spend a lot of time at work. And I think everybody has something to contribute. Like, I don't believe there's any such thing as a B player. Everybody has has talents, but they don't always get unleashed. So I would like to see more people's talents get unleashed in a way that gives them pleasure and and in a way that makes it fun for them to work with. Kim, I really, really appreciate the time. I know you're incredibly busy trying to get the book edited and get it out the door. Uh, everybody should really be excited for, for that launch. I know the folks here at HubSpot uh, will, be, will be ordering a bunch of copies and sharing it with all the leaders in our organization. So we really appreciate the time on the show today. Great. Thank you very much. It was fun talking to you. <laughs> Thanks, Kim. Bye. You well. Bye. Thanks for listening to our show. As always, we would love to hear your feedback. Tell us what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. 